Yeah, Kevin. I mean, this one, as far as uh, a show, a, a podcast, I don't even want to call it a show because it's we're not trying to do a show. We're just trying to pay homage to Wyndham. Um, basically, in case you've been out of the loop, um, as of yesterday, uh, Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda's passed away, uh, 36. Um, he wasn't 80. He wasn't 95. He's in the, the prime of his WWE career. You know, it, it's just, I mean, it's a shock to everyone to state the bleedingly obvious. Um, so we figured what we do with our show, our podcast, whatever, use that as, I guess, a platform to, I mean, express our gratitude towards Wyndham. I mean, the person, the performer, and do a little sort of bio piece on him. Uh, because, you know, a, a lot of people are doing their tributes and a lot of people are sharing their stories. And we figured with Elite Heap, what we do is, Something similar, um, because you know it, it's it's fitting. The SmackDown tribute shows. I mean, going on as we speak, uh, we're going to do this. So probably after SmackDown or sometime next coming days, following SmackDown, you guys can have that this to sort of listen to as well. Um, but yeah, Kevin, I guess first and foremost, how you doing, pal? I'm good. I'm as good as I could be. Now, how are you, pal? I mean, as is the case with most people who are you know into this wrestling. So I mean, not great. Like I mean, I, obviously, I didn't know. Wyndham right like per, on a personal level but part of me and i'm sure yourself and many others like when, when you grow up and or when you just watch generally and see a wrestler's like whole career in front of you you watch their character their persona you watch them flesh out them develop in front of your eyes for literally a decade and then all of a sudden boom you know as he has four kids a partner and all this you know the years of his career ahead of him he's just gone like that um unbelievable it's just like obviously a shock to everyone um i don't know how do you want to start this off pal i I don't know yeah yeah i don't know there's not really much to say i know one thing is that when you look at a guy like bray wyatt you know he's somebody realistically he's one of the biggest homegrown stars that wwe has made over the past decade he debuted in 2013 and he was a constant in the main event, upper mid-card scene. Having top-notch storylines, high-profile feuds, high-profile moments with all the, the biggest stars. He was a prominent figure in everybody who watches WWE. He was a prominent figure in their life, whether they loved him, or they didn't like his character, or whatever the, the case may be. Bray Wyatt was still there, and Bray Wyatt was at the top of his game. He was literally just in a match, like at the Royal Rumble, in a match with LA Knight, a high-profile story. Had just made his return late last year after being off for some time. And he was hitting his peak. He was hitting his pinnacle. And he, he was going to do new things under the Triple H regime. He was going to hit a new level. And we never got to see that. We never will. It's kind of unfortunate. It really it, it really does, uh, it does suck. It's, it's not a great day to be a wrestling fan. You know, just on the heels. Like now that yeah, the, the Bray Wyatt tribute show is going on right now. It's very emotional. It, it's... Um, it's not very often that you see a wrestling superstar die while they're still being a wrestling superstar. And we often hear so many times, oh, this wrestler died, this wrestler died, but they're usually retired. Like, Terry Funk passed away, too. We got to mention that. Terry Funk passed away this way, this week. Terry Funk is one of the absolute most influential wrestlers to ever live. Terry Funk is your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. He's inspired countless guys, Mick Foley being the most prominent. Uh, so to lose Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt within the span of like 72 hours, four days, five days, however long it was, 
it just doesn't feel feel real you know it, it's insane it, it really is it, it's like and then we lost Brody Lee too less than two years ago Bray Wyatt's best friend um if you would have told me in 2013 that two of the the three original Wyatt family members would be gone a, a decade later I, I just I wouldn't even know what to say yeah and look on you sort of made that point for me. That was, that's sort of my big take, not takeaway, but my, my sort of opinion with this, because yes, you know, obviously Terry Funk and anyone passed away, it's obviously sad, especially with the families and what have you. But Terry Funk, you know, he was born in 1944. He's well truly lived his life. He's like sucked all the juice he can out of it, so to speak. And now you're sort of just, you know, like you're living now, he's unfortunately passed away. He's 78, 79, 80, that sort of thing. Bray Wyatt, Wyndham, 36. Like that's that's too young. Like that's you know, that's confronting how young that is. Because I mean, you're what you're, you're Kevin mid twenties. Like he's not much older than you. Yeah. You know, like that's and the thing with Wyndham is that with his career, which I mean we'll get to in the coming minutes and over the next like hour or so, with a guy like this, he came in you know and really made an impact. What twenty thirteen? So Bray's what in his mid twenties, which is rare. Because usually nowadays, wrestlers come in their mid-30s, late-30s. That's just sort of what we're accustomed to. But Wyndham, I mean, when it was Husky Harris, that's 13 years ago. He's literally early 20s, early to mid-20s, which is pretty nuts. Then he does the white family stuff, and he's literally mid-20s. And he's fleshed out a whole career for himself. He's you know, He made himself one of the guys of this sort of era, this last 10 to 15 years. Bray's one of the main guys in this period of time world championship runs memorable programs memorable characters a gimmick and a persona you can identify really easily and different parts to that as well unpack so yeah um look i mean we'll we'll continue to unpack this throughout the next hour kevin but i guess one thing i'll ask you now is i mean how do you find out like i mean this happened yesterday everyone's got a different sort of finding out with this for a lot of people it was you know they saw triple h's tweet he was the first one who really kind of broke it because he got the, the the sort of messaging through from you know Wyndham's father. But for you, like, how'd you find out? So I was at my friend's house, sitting on the couch, you know, and I um, I get a notification on my phone. I'm like, oh, it's ESPN or Bleach Report, whoever it was, and it just said WWE star Bray Wyatt is dead at 36. And I just looked at my phone and I just said Bray Wyatt's dead. Like, I just said that out loud, you know. And then, like, my friends were sending me this on Instagram, like, is this real? Is this real? This isn't part of the show, right? This isn't fake. And I was like, no, like, like, it's not real. And I'm not saying that, that, I'm not saying that to be funny. Like, my friends are just ignorant to wrestling. They don't really know wrestling like I do, you know? So, you know, they, they just don't know. And, like, every mainstream media outlet was picking this up. Everybody. Everybody was posting this. You know, any news site. It was, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like, Bray Wyatt is one of the modern day stars of this era like i said when i think of pg the pg era when i think of the 2010s decade you know i think of roman reigns i think of the shield of course seth Rollins, dean ambrose um i think of aj styles you know you think of john cena brock lesnar and then the wyatt family is right there in that conversation in terms of synonymous stars with this era you know wow yeah it was it was sad just seeing that and i, I couldn't really believe it but how did you yeah. find out yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, that same thing. You, you don't believe it. Uh, that's my sort of process with it. It's just this, like, sort of stunned shock. Like, what? 
Like, no, like, you're kidding. You know, obviously some people understandably so like, you know, get really emotional. So like, you know, crying right away. Some people just like, you know, inconsolable when, you know, horrible news like this comes about. For me, I'm sitting at work. It's, you know, it's about 12 o'clock. I'm on my lunch break. I get my phone out to like, just go on YouTube and, you know, eat my lunch, fill in the next like 20, 25 minutes. The first thing on my YouTube sort of page was the All Elite Wrestling, the AEW like tribute little post they did, which was, you know, the All Elite Wrestling, the AEW family and the wrestling world wishes to acknowledge whatever they said about, you know, the passing of Wyndham Rotunda. And then they had the graphic of Bray Wyatt. And I was just like, I literally just, I was like, what? Huh? No. You know, like, like this, this isn't right. Like what? And my initial reaction was that he took his own life. That, that was my initial thing of like, oh no. Like I go, I was, oh no. You know, because like I thought to myself right away, there was the, the Brody Lee, John Huber thing two and a half years ago. Is, is this similar to like the, the Eddie and Benoit thing where like that was just so big of a loss for him that he just couldn't go on without him. So that was my first like initial. And we got to find out that, you know, it was COVID related. There was like a heart issue. And then that, that unfortunately was what happened. But it's just, you know, the initial reaction is obviously, as is the case with everyone, just like stunned, shocked, like, no, this can't be real. Like, what the hell, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's how I found out, Kevin. I mean, anything on that or where do you want to go from that? Like, Nah, I mean, there's not really too much more we can add to that. It's just news that you hate to see, that you yeah. wish you didn't have to read. Mm. You know, I mean, think about it. Bray Wyatt's 36. Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, like, a lot of these guys, they're all in the same age, you know? Yeah. Uh, pretty much all of them. And, and it's a different time in wrestling. This is not the era in wrestling where wrestlers are dying at this age. Mm. It doesn't happen with these guys, you know? AJ Styles is almost 50, still wrestling better than he ever has. You know, it, it's just, it's so rare. It's not like in the 80s and 90s where, you know, those guys, once like the, the late 90s, early 2000s hit, all the drugs and the steroids and everything wore off, was wearing on them, you know? And they were dropping like flies at, at, a, at a young age. You know, it's a different time. It's a different business, and it's sad to see Bray Wyatt go so early. Uh, but let, let's uh, let's try to get this into a positive direction. Yeah. Let's take a more of a, a a tribute route. Let's talk about all things Bray Wyatt. So first off, uh, what was your favorite version of Bray Wyatt? He's had many iterations. You know, there was oh, yeah. Husky Harris. Uh, you know, the Wyatt family, the Eater of Worlds, the Fiend, Funhouse Bray so many different iterations of the guy but what was your favorite oh, that's such a because i haven't actually i haven't thought about that honestly like really ever until now and like because as you list there there's so many different versions of this guy you know and one thing with wrestling generally a lot of stars maybe only have maybe one version or maybe two versions of themselves right like they have you know maybe one run as one character and then maybe they turn heel for a little bit and then they come back as the one character they were but with bray with Wyndham, there's a, like a laundry list of different things he's done and a lot of them he's done quite well or have, that have had profound like i guess impact on wrestling and profound significance i mean husky harris is we're not really counting that was just sort of like a he's like a role player he's just sort of part one of those nexus guys we'll get your husky harris thoughts in a, in a few minutes here kevin but really to me I, i'm gonna personally go with the, that like 
first white family stint was my favorite. Like I know for me, it's 2013. I'm I'm 10 at that point. I'm watching those vignettes that were airing on Raw. They started them about May. I remember I had like my little iPad. I was watching on the WWE app at the time because that was like the big thing, the app. Like they have all the little clips and like I'd be fascinated by it. it was Bray Wyatt, it was the Shield, it was the White family. To me, those are the most interesting wrestlers because by that point, Sam Punk had sort of started to like be a bit kind of tail off a little bit. Like he'd done his WrestleMania 29 thing. He'd taken his hiatus. I'm like the Shield, the White family. I remember I was writing down like the Shields, all their wins because they had like a win streak and I had to write down who they beat. I had like the White family and like what they were doing. I was looking at NXT stuff and you got a guy like Bray Wyatt doing these vignettes. It stood out so much because Kevin especially in 2013, everything was in front of you. Everything was in the ring. Everything was between the ropes. And then you got the Wyatt family. Then you got Wyndham. You got, you know, Luke Harper. You got Eric Rowan. They're off in some rinky-dink compound in the middle of some wood somewhere. The sheep mask thing was flashing on screen. Bray was in his rocking chair. He was talking all different. Luke Harper and there's, there's these three just giant creepy dudes. It stood out so much. Oh, like I, I connected with that. Like I was like, oh my God, who are these guys? Like a 10-year-old me was like really invested by them. Uh, they did a phenomenal job of what they were trying to do. Um, so to me, it'll be the Wyatt family. Um, and I'll speak more about them in a, in a minute. But I guess for you, same question. Um, what what iteration of Bray kind of struck a call with you most? Hmm. Um, I was thinking about this. I really enjoyed The Fiend. That, that's kind of like what, what I like in, in wrestling is the entertainment aspect. I, I like the, the novelty act that it was. Uh, you know, it was the, the mystery, the mystique. It was different. You know, it was it was really, truly different. I know a lot of people didn't really like it. Um, you know, but in terms of character work, The Fiend was, I think, the best character work he ever did. It was so out of the box. You know, just out of the ordinary. It was... Completely unlike anything that we've seen in WWE throughout the PG era. You know, nothing really about the the Fiend was PG. I mean, he made it work, you know. And then the, the stuff that he would do with the Funhouse spray, it was fun. I, I really like that, that iteration. Yeah, I mean, the, the Fiend, and we'll get to the Fiend a bit more later, but I mean, that, that would have worked in any era. That, that's one thing, which with these Bray characters, like that White Family bit, and definitely the fiends and then the funhouse thing that that works in literally any era like you put that in the mid 90s that that works you put that in the attitude era some iteration of that works you put that in the ruthless aggression era that, you know they'd make that work somehow and it worked on the pg which is probably the hardest one to make it work in because the fiend and as you say it's, it's not like a like a pg thing it's this sick like demon from hell basically this, this really creepy mask possessed like persona and Bray made it work you know of course he did and there, there are parts of it especially with like the fun house and some of the storytelling with that where it was a bit cryptic it was a bit like sort of what's going on that was all part of just the you know the act and you know I guess one thing one Bray I want to shout out I mean this is sort of on the white family thing but for me some of my fondest memories of Bray were 2014 Bray had a phenomenal 24. He had a big 2014 in terms of, I guess, who he was feuding with, his position on the show. So you're starting the year. He has the match with Daniel Bryan. They have that big thing two weeks into the year with, you know, the steel cage. Daniel Bryan's in the White family. And then he breaks out. And Bray's in that main event of Raw against Daniel Bryan in the steel cage. Bryan's doing the yes chant. 
Like Bray was there. The Wyatt family is a part of that. It felt like they were teasing some sort of, I mean, they could do Bray versus Cena. They could do Bray versus Brock. Like, you know where they were going with Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family? Kevin, they do the Shield matches, which we'll touch on a bit you know, later on as how big they were. And then Bray's feuding with Cena. And for me, like my fondest memory of, I guess, the Wyatt family, Eater of Worlds version was the build up to Extreme Rules. You've got the Wyatt family, Bray Wyatt. They had a bunch of the people with the sheep masks on. I don't know if you remember this, but they've got all the kids around ringside, all the people singing. He's got the whole world in his hands, which I thought as an 11-year-old, that was like the most nuts thing I've ever seen. Like, you know, Bray's conducting this creepy choir of children singing, you know, he's got the whole C nation in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hand, the whole crowd's singing. And like, it's just, it's a dynamic that like we hardly saw in the last 15 years. It was a connection with the audience and the fan. I know for me as the 11 year old, I was just like struck by it. So, you know, I can speak to that. Um, Kevin, I guess we're moving on now for you. I mean, what were your first impressions of Bray? I sort of gave mine there. Um, mm. But what, what were for you? Because we mentioned Husky Harris and that sort of thing. I'll pass this to you. What were your first impressions of Wyndham? Yeah, the first time I ever saw Wyndham Rotunda was as a member of the Nexus. <laughs> that was that was it. That was uh, my first introduction to um, good old Wyndham Rotunda as Husky Harris. I, li- I literally witnessed his entire career. His on-screen television career with WWE from day one. I don't remember too much, like initially. You know, I just I kind of saw the guy, and he was like a background guy in the Nexus. It wasn't really anything of prominence. You know, that whole Nexus thing was built around Cena and the invasion, mm-hmm. and then later the 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 NXT pros, and that really became about Miz and Daniel Bryan. Uh, there wasn't too too much there. I was just like, oh, okay, this guy, like he's here. Yeah, Husky Harris. Like, it, it was kind of a um, an awkward position, uh, not a position of prominence per se. Nothing really that stood out. You know, it's kind of like uh, like Dolph Ziggler in, in the Spirit Squad. It's kind of like that uh, to a, to a degree. You know, it's just like this guy that's thrown into a random multi-man faction, yeah, and then he completely changes his identity, and it's like you, all, you forget that that ever existed, because he became so good as a solo star. Um, so then, really, my first impressions of Bray Wyatt, I remember this watching Raw in like the summer of 2013, when they started running those Wyatt family compound vignettes, and I was like, oh, that's cool. This is different. This is unique. Like this has a, a unique feel to it. And that's the the that's gonna be the the running theme here when talking about Bray Wyatt is unique. Everything about the Wyatt family and those vignettes and their debut and the 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 Inferno match with Kane at SummerSlam, everything about Bray Wyatt it has been and always was unique. And that was I was just blown away with what I saw with the Wyatt family. I was like, wow, that is cool. I don't know who that guy is. I I didn't remember that he was Husky Harris. When I first saw Bray Wyatt in 2013, but I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know who that guy is, but, man, he's he looks cool. I want to see what he's into. And it was really cool, and it was really hot for, like, the first year or so. And then, you know, things kind of settled by the wayside after a scene of feud, but we'll, we'll get into that later on. Yeah. No, 100%. I'll just pass on, Carol, what you're saying there. Like, I mean, Bray got his foot in the door. So, Bray Wyndham got his foot in the door 
as you know a role player he just he got a position it was in this case this nexus sort of new nexus sort of thing whatever you know he was on smack he's getting you know cena punched him in a hotel room like it's sort of just whatever but he's he's got like his foot in the door that was his entry you know like you, you don't always start i mean this is the case in pressure most lines of work or most things generally you don't put your foot in the door and you're all of a sudden like the, the main event superstar carrying the company like this was wyndham's entry you know he was wearing the husky hat wearing the the nexus the like little tank top and he was getting punched and beat up by whatever baby face or he's being yelled at by wade barrett like stuff like that you know that was his entrance and then yeah further that white family thing one thing i'll speak to um growing up at the time having friends who are also watching at the time really that sort of 2013 thing to build on what you're saying there the white family in the shield are the most interesting things by far especially in like for the majority of 2013 because yeah cena's cena punk's punk brian's getting gaining traction he's building but it's the white family in the shield that was the most interesting from a like i guess a, a kids and like growing up standpoint they were the ones who captured your attention i imagine you who are a bit older were probably similar i mean you're probably watching the show at the time thing okay cena's whatever he's been in top guy for like nine years this white family thing with you know brian like the mask and the rocking chair and the lantern and these big huge six foot eight dudes with beards who look where they're wearing like overalls and then you got the shield or these just like badasses who were all wearing like gear like like that is the next that is the now so i don't know i mean that was my experience and um, those are my first impressions uh kevin i guess i'll carry it on to you here i guess thoughts with his i mean wrestlemania 30 this is like a big thing with bray wyatt and um, a lot of people have opinions on this some adamant he was buried some people like it was a you know, great moment for him he got the wrestling scene at wrestlemania Others are just like, it sort of happened. For you, Kevin, what were your thoughts on, you know, 2014 Bray Wyatt, the Cena feud particularly, and whether WrestleMania 30 buried him? I think WrestleMania 30 was his peak. I think that's the word I would use. That was his absolute peak in WWE. It's kind of unfortunate that the character peaked out like seven months in. Mm. But it was kind of, it was going to be kind of hard to recapture that magic. That same magic with the whole world in his hands and the choir and the crowd being super in love with them. Once you when you catch that magic so early, it, it's it's not the same as when you build up to it, build up to it, build up to it, and then you get that magic, like, like what happened with like Stone Cold or Daniel Bryan or you know Shawn Michaels. These guys that paid their dues and paid their dues. Bray Wyatt shows up in the, in July as the character Bray Wyatt shows up in like July 2013, and by April. 2014 he's the biggest thing going so it, it's really tough to, to come back from that and yeah he managed to become an upper mid-card guy the rest of his career and it's, it's not a slight to him that he was an upper mid-card guy i mean he made a ton of money had a great career you know and that's realistically what he was he just he he flatlined out after that wrestlemania 30 storyline with john cena and i don't think the result of the match like, if Vince McMahon would have said, all right, I'm going to write Bray Wyatt's name on the winner's side, I don't think that really would have changed the trajectory all that much of Wyatt's career. I don't know. I don't I don't think it would have made too, too much of a difference. Like, yeah, he would have beat Cena. And then what would he do after that, you know? So, I, I don't know. Buried is not the right word. Yeah. You know? 
I, he ended up becoming was still one of the biggest stars of the decade. So he wasn't buried. That's yeah. that's for sure. You know. So I don't know. That's the way I've always seen that that whole situation. Yeah. No. I, I get where you're coming from. I, I guess for me, you know, watching at the time, I can only speak to, I mean, at the time what I was feeling watching it, like going in, that whole storyline with Bray was going to like try and break and like bring down Cena's legacy mm-hmm. and like change Cena. Like that wasn't really the first time that sort of thing had been done, but the way Bray was doing it was unique. As we discussed, it's unique. It stands out. And that uh, that video package, you know, with the Eminem song for WrestleMania 30 where you know, Cena's looking in the mirror and then he's like, he puts water and he splashes face of water and like the, the, the sheep mask is there. And then he turns around and it's not there. And, you know, like you're Bray Wyatt with those cryptic like promos. I'm, I'm going to you know break you, John. I'm going to bend your legacy, John. Like, it, it, I don't know. It was, a, it was like a magic in a bottle almost. Yes. You know, was the match the greatest? Not really. Like, I mean, Wyatt and Cena wasn't like the greatest match in the ring. But everything that encompassed it was really good. Um, if Bray Wyatt won... I think that would have changed the trajectory of his career quite a bit. I guess to me, how I view that match and like that outcome, it was sort of the the start of what would become with Bray for the next really few years until he became, I mean, the fiend in my opinion, where he taught the big game. There'd be the big song and dance, the cryptic promos, usually a generally pretty good storyline and interesting build and the big, all the semantics surrounding it, but he just lose. Like he was, you know, always the upper mid card, as you say. He was, you know, credible in that regard. But he just, what he, he wouldn't win those big matches, you know. And you look at WrestleMania 30, that was sort of the start of that. He did everything perhaps perfectly, but win that match. And I get it. Do you want to have Cena, your face of the era, lose at WrestleMania 30? I get it. I understand that. But, you know, from the perspective of Bray Wyatt and his career, yeah, it didn't bury him. I'm not saying, of course, it didn't bury him. Like, you know, he's one of the, the stars of this era, but would it have put him maybe an echelon above if Cena gets knocked off at WrestleMania 30 by this upcoming guy, Bray Wyatt, I mean, it would have been a big deal because th- this is the same Cena who hardly ever lost. Like this is before Brock Lesnar squashed him at SummerSlam. This is still super Cena. This is the unbreakable Cena who that infamous picture of Cena having his comeback where he's like shirtless and he, he flexes the muscle like this, you know, like that. This that's the Cena who just would, would lift big show and edge on his shoulders would never lose, only lost to Sam Punk in Chicago with a bunch of people threatening riots. Like, that was that Cena. So, I don't know. To me, yeah, it wasn't a burial. No, no it was not. Um, would it have been significant if Bray Wyatt ended that match, you know, with the Wyatt family huddled over Cena's, like, lifeless body and saying, like, we broke you, John? Like, like casual fans would have been like, oh, my God. Who, like, <laughs> this guy is, he's there to say. So, yeah, I mean... Comes and goes. It's not like the biggest end of the world thing, as we've discussed, but, you know, would have been big. It would have been big. So uh, what's your favorite Bray Wyatt match? Ooh, uh, also 2014, um, Shield Wyatt's Elimination Chamber. Mm. It's hard to go past that. Um, yeah. I know some people, well, we can discuss Wyatt singles matches in a minute and everything with that, but as far as a match Wyatt was involved in, that match against the Shield, I mean, I could go on for a while, but I'm going to pass this to you. You know, Shield Wyatt family... Did you say that match live? What did you think of the I mean, a feud, that match? Talk to us. Yeah, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Saw that live. I was watching every week at that point. Um, yeah, uh, for me, it was the Raw match that they had. I don't remember what time frame that was, but that Raw match was special, man. That's one of the best TV matches in the history of, 
of Raw. That Shield Wyatt match. I think that was. Someone's gonna fact check this, but I'm talking about that was the Raw in Chicago. I think that was the Hijack Raw. I think March so. Third. Yeah, it might have been. I think what happened was that obviously everyone knew going in on like the whole building is gonna be just chanting for Punk the whole show, and WWE were like, "Nah, we're not having this." Heyman's coming out the open. We're doing Shield Wyatt's. We're doing a tag title. Like they went all out. I think that match was one of them. Like that match for 20 minutes, the crowd were like, oh, "We're hooked by this." Phil Brooks can go sit and you know, cry on his couch bitching. We care about this match right now. Bray Wyatt, The Shield, The Wyatt family, that's what we're here for. So, yeah, carry on. That's hilarious. I love that. I love that Phil Brooks line. No, that match, absolutely spectacular. That That's probably my favorite uh, match that I ever saw Bray Wyatt involved with. Um, favorite singles match, probably Royal Rumble 2014 with Daniel Bryan. I, I can't think off the top of my head of too many like really great like in-ring singles matches from Bray Wyatt. I, I really dug the match at WrestleMania 36 with Cena, even though that was more of a segment. But that was yeah. so fun. That was so creative, so cool. One of the most unique things you'll ever see on WWE TV. That was awesome. Where you got Cena going through like his own legacy and going back to the time with Hogan and Stone Cold and being part of the NWO, like that was so cool. That whole storyline with him and yeah. Cena, that was so awesome. And you could tell Bray Wyatt's mind was heavily involved in that. No, I will say, and on that, I can't agree with you more about how brilliant that Funhouse thing was with Cena WrestleMania 36. I understand, like, I get the side of it where, you know, you do that WrestleMania 36, you do that in 2020, and you sort of park that and move on with you know, the world's opened up for 2021 and you don't really keep going back to the well for those cinematic things. But especially WrestleMania 37, when Wyatt's feuding with Randy Orton and there's Alexa Bliss thing, that match should have been the Funhouse match with Cena, but with Randy Orton. That would have been so much better. Instead, I mean, you were there for this. There's black gunk. There's a box. It's just, it, it was Wyatt's mind turned up a bit too far. But if... You look at, you know, they do a funhouse match for that. Imagine the what they could have done in a Randy Orton Firefly funhouse. Imagine the scandal. Imagine, you know, they got Randy Orton pooping in a bag. Oh, my God. Like, they go through all of it, Kevin. But, um, no, further than that, I think singles match is hard to go by that 2014, like, Rumble match. I mean, that was the best match on that event by far. Like, the 2014 yeah. Rumble was, like... No, 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 no. You're missing... Oh no, that was fifteen. Never mind. The the, yeah, the, no, the Cena Lesnar Rollins triple threat. That was fifteen. No, no, no. no. Twenty fourteen was quite literally. I mean, Batista yeah, big won the show. Brock. Yeah. Rey Mysterio got booed, uh, and then yeah. the other match was Cena versus Orton for about the three hundredth time. This was the the world title. The crowd is chanting, "We want Sheamus, JBL, Randy Savage. We want refunds." Yeah. So you know, Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan opening that show that stole the whole event. Um, yep. many would say Brian should have appeared at the end of the show and won the Rumble. That's here, that's nine years ago, whatever. But the point being, Bray Wyatt and that match, like that was the absolute best like one on one in the ring we got. I think star ratings from memory, seeing reviews, people giving that four and a quarter sort of thing. I was getting above four stars consistently. Uh, I don't think anyone's giving that like fives, but that was like a, a universally accepted, really quality Bray Wyatt match. Um, and then other ones people will suggest, I mean. Some say, some like the stuff of like Balor, you know, some like those matches. Personally, this is a bit obscure. I know some people hated this, Kevin. I like the stuff of Dean Ambrose. 
I know most people aren't going to mention this. You won't hear this one much in the the Bray Wyatt, you know, legacy tributes. But to me, that Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose feud, it started a bit dumb with like the hologram of whatever at Hell in a Cell 2014. A monitor exploded at TLC or something. And it was the ending was a bit dumb. But the match they got out with Wyatt and Ambrose, I personally liked as well. That match got four stars. That um, that Brian and Wyatt match, four stars from Dave, from old Uncle Dave. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's he's had so many just incredible moments. Like another match too that jumps to mind is that Hell in a Cell match with Roman Reigns. I thought that match was damn good. One of the better like blood red Hell in a Cell matches. At least that jumped to mind. That was cool. Um, I thought that was just like two guys beating the hell out of each other. I thought they had insane chemistry, uh, Roman and Bray. I, I think uh, in ring, Roman was probably Bray's best opponent that he had a good prolonged storyline with. They, they just they worked really well together for whatever reason. So I want to say on this. A, good, good. I was just gonna say one thing. One thing just quickly on that. Like, I mean, you've this is no doubt making the rounds on Twitter, and it always does. But that that spot, I mean, with Bray and Roman, where I think they're on, they're in a tag team together, it was like a raw match, and Bray hits like a move, and he's like he's got someone in a cover, and then like the camera's like angled like at facing Bray, Bray just like points, and Roman hits this like six spear, like it was just like it was like a timing thing with those two, like those two just sort of clicked. But yeah, as you say, carry on. Yeah, no, so I want to talk about like his uh, 2016, 17 time. Uh, so he was one of the pinnacles of SmackDown of that great 2016-2017 era of SmackDown post the draft in the fall, and he's really like renowned for his role. I mean, we saw like the, the stuff with Randy Orton that they feuded. I don't even know how long at that time when Randy Orton burned down Sister Abigail, and then uh, you know they had the match at WrestleMania 33. Of course, Wyatt wins the WWE title at um at Elimination Chamber from Cena. Uh, really, just um, a lot of cool stuff. Maybe the the maybe a second peak for Bray Wyatt or a second run on top. It was one of those things where you know you're looking at Bray Wyatt, you're like, okay, this guy kind of hard to take him serious at this point. Like you said, he talked a big game and then he'd lose. Then he gained all that credibility back like right away. And yeah. he he was a credible champion walking into WrestleMania. And the thing with him is that he was he was more more so like a transitional champion. Yeah. You know, I mean and with all due respect, you know, because that's that's a big deal, you know. Being good enough to be a champion regardless, period, is is a big deal. Bray Wyatt I don't I don't think uh, Vince McMahon or WWE or you know, the masses that be saw Bray Wyatt as a guy that could carry the championship. You know, I don't know if Bray Wyatt is the I- ideal WWE champion. You know, when you think of a guy that you want on Good Morning America, like you think of like a guy like Cody or Randy Orton, you know, Triple H, guys like that. Bray Wyatt didn't really fit that mold. But when he was in that main event scene, especially 2016-17, it was special. No, 100%. And because, yeah, by that point, I mean, I like you touch on that. But, yeah, by that point, we've seen the Cena thing. Where it's, it's, you know, you talk the big game, it's a big sort of build, and then I mean, Bray loses the feud in the end, but he, you know, puts up a good showing. There's the Dean Ambrose feud, late 2014, as I touch on. Pretty good feud, Bray. You know, there's this thing with the monitor 
a bit messy, but yeah, he fused with Ambrose, has the Undertaker match and feud at WrestleMania 31. He faced the Undertaker the year after the streak broke, which is a big deal. If that match was, you know, under dark, because it was because of the time zones in daylight, so it's a little odd, but, you know, Bray Wyatt faced the Undertaker at WrestleMania and he talked the big game and the build up and fell short. Then the feud with Roman Reigns, a lot of, you know, a lot of build there, a lot of hype there, some good matches, some good chemistry there, fell short again. And then 2016, Wyatt family gets beaten up by The Rock and Cena at WrestleMania. I guess they were going to do the Wyatts versus Brock or Bray versus Brock. That never mounted to be. I mean, Bray versus Brock would have been better than whatever that Ambrose thing was with Brock Lesnar. But nonetheless, Kevin, and yeah, we got to SmackDown 2016-17. And to me, I've gone back to watch a, a bunch. Of, I didn't watch that live at the time. That was right as I tuned off because of how bad Raw was. I couldn't watch Raw. And I just stopped watching SmackDown entirely because of how bad Raw was. I was like, I can't do this Kevin Owens, Finn Balor thing Balor's been here two minutes. He's a champion. I can't do this no more. I just, just turned off. But when I go back to watch SmackDown in this era, to me, Styles was like the star. And then it was Bray Wyatt. And beneath them, obviously, you had yeah, Ambrose, Cena, Orton, James Ellsworth, and Luke Harper. And there was a bunch of pieces around that. But to me, and how I interpreted that, and Miz and Ziggler and those guys, but it was, yeah, Styles and Bray were like the main event pieces. And as obviously those guys beneath them helped made the show as good as it was. So, yeah, no, this was, it was a great performance from Bray over a number of months, you know, closing out 2016, coming to 2017, the Elimination Chamber, he wins the championships, his emotional moment, the, the pictures of Bray Wyatt backstage with the title, some of the great pictures. I know, shout out Brian, that's his new profile picture, like that picture of Bray Wyatt backstage with the title. And then in the lead up to WrestleMania 30. Three, Kevin. Question for you: You were there for WrestleMania 33. I mean, like, what was that like? Because, like, I'd imagine that would be a bit sort of odd. I mean, Bray Wyatt's wrestling Randy Orton. It's the WWE Championship match, and I mean, talk to us about that experience. What was that like? So I'll be honest. When I discuss this, I'll I'll, uh, I'll avoid being super negative, but I'll be honest. I I did not really care for that match. Um, sitting there live, I mean, it was an eight-hour show. In Orlando, Florida, in the ninety-five degree weather. So by the time Orton and Wyatt are out there, it's probably like ten thirty at night. I'd say roughly, give or take, around that time. We still had yet to see Brock versus Goldberg. No, it was probably more like eleven. It was probably more like eleven because I think Roman and Undertaker started like right before midnight. So it was like ten forty-five, eleven. We're watching this match, and I'm just sitting there like, man, whew. Oof, you know, yeah. Um, the maggots thing. Uh, really, just a shame that Bray Wyatt's one moment in the sun at WrestleMania in a world title feud and the world title picture with a guy like Randy Orton was made out to be like that. You know, I, I don't know who created that or whose idea it was, but you had this great storyline. And you had this really hot storyline that people were invested in in this fantastic era of SmackDown where, you know, AJ was doing fun stuff as a champion. You know, Ambrose was doing cool stuff. The women were doing good stuff. Miz and Ziggler. Yeah, Miz and Ziggler. And then you had Orton and Wyatt just being another piece to that puzzle. So, and then we get to WrestleMania and they have this match that really underwhelmed. You know, it, it really underwhelmed in every sense of the word. And kind of like that match a few years later at WrestleMania 37. 
just kind of underwhelmed after a pretty good feud and pretty good buildup. Um, it it was just uh, you know it it was a thing with Bray Wyatt where he was not the best in ring wrestler and he had a lot of weaknesses in that standpoint. And it was I think it would have been tough. And this is why he wasn't really a guy that could be the face of the company. It would have been tough for him to go in there and have a 20-minute match with Randy Orton, you know? Um, I think they could have found other ways. You know, they could have done, like, a street fight or something and had those two beat the hell out of each other for 11 minutes. But then you had Brock and Goldberg having a car crash right after. So, you know, if if Vince tells Brock, hey, these guys are going to have a street fight, and then you you and Brock, you and Goldberg are going to do your thing, Brock probably would be like, oh, well, I'm not cool with that. You know, so there's a lot of politics that go into stuff like this, and it's just unfortunate that you know that that was his one moment in the sun as world champion at WrestleMania, literally in the sun. <laughs> literally in the sun. Yeah, no, nah, that would have been fun. Eight hours in the baking hot sun, pal. Uh, but no, nah, I mean it was a bit of a rock and a hard place situation. Like they're, they're probably going to this match, going we have like fifteen minutes to do this match. You've got like Brock and Goldberg right after us. There's already been like a Hardy Boys Fatal Four Way ladder match before, so uh, like. D- I think we can't really do a like much of a straight fight thing, but like a, a singles one-on-one without any sort of extra stuff, extra cinematic stuff is probably going to kill the crowd. So like, what do we do? So I get it. And yeah, that's just, you know, that would be probably the main glaring weakness of Bray Wyatt. It was just the in-ring. And that was something that was called out at length by, I mean, your, your wrestling observers and those sort of, publications and portions of the wrestling community the wrestling media who these same people gave bray wyatt the wrestling observer worst match of the year award four times which is pretty nuts um and yeah because obviously he wasn't in the ring he wasn't he's not brian danielson he brings a different sort of element to the table and yeah wrestlemania 33 his one moment in the baking hot sun pal maggots are on the ring you've got worms the referee it was I, I hated this, like to be like that match. And, and once again, obviously we're honoring Bray. Bray himself, I have no doubt, in a closed room, if, if I'm just talking to Wyndham, he'd be like, yeah, that wasn't it. You know, I've done some really fun, cool, creative, interesting, great things in my career. That didn't click. That didn't hit. And you've got, you know, like the camera shot, the, the really staged looking camera shot from above the ring. And the referee's like, he looks up at the camera, then he, he gets out of the ring, he like slides out of the ring. And then they've got like Randy Orton's like, whoa. There are maggots, you know, and Wyndham's like, <laughs> worms. Like, it's just, which producer approved that? But nonetheless, Kevin, one other thing in that feud before we move on, the House of Horrors and, like, everything, I mean, after WrestleMania, the, the feud continued. Randy Orton burned down the compound, join, and, like, there was more sort of storytelling with that. I mean, you were watching at the time. I guess, like, how was that? Because, like, obviously, we have WrestleMania, the referee is sliding out. Oh my God, there are maggots. Let me get out of the ring. They're projecting maggots on there. There's that. You're in the baking hot sun, whatever. Moving on the next month, two months for the last part of the feud. Randy Orton's invading the compound. They do a match at the White family compound. It gets burned down. Talk to us about that, Kevin. What were your ruthless opinions on the compound, pal? You know, I don't remember too, too much about that. I wasn't. I wasn't. A, I guess clued in at that point. I was kind of done with the Orton Wyatt storyline after the Magus incident. Um, <laughs> so I don't remember too too much about the House of Horrors. I just remember thinking it was kind of faux, like a little over the top. Yeah. Uh, kind of eighties wrestling. 
which is cool. Um, I just wasn't too into it at the time. Yeah. You know? Uh, so let, let's talk about this for a moment. Let, let's talk about The Fiend. Yeah. Um, I think we spent enough time on, on 2016-17. Yeah, we can move on. Yeah, move so on. let's talk about The Fiend. Now, what do you think about The Fiend overall? Would you say, like, in the grand scheme of things, The Fiend was a success? This is the thing, and like, especially now, a lot of a lot of people now are gonna say it was a, like it was just a, a clear success, and you know, like I'll probably lean towards it being as more of a success than like a failure. And the, the term failure is a bit harsh because you know it made a lot of money. The Fiend merchandise sold like crazy, masks, shirts, gear. The the, the gimmick worked from like a from a business point of view. It did. It was the most compelling thing in WWE programming from the moment it debuted at SummerSlam 2019, which that was an incredible moment. SummerSlam, that debut of The Fiend was by far the moment of SummerSlam. If that didn't happen, SummerSlam 2019 would have been utter bottom-feeding trash. But nonetheless, for about, what? What are we saying here, Kevin? Like, mostly eight months. Everything involving that character was the most interesting thing or one of on the show in just WWE generally. Like, that that was what you were talking about. This is, at the time, I'm watching this in 2019. This is the Universal Championship. is literally Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman being a tag team who are good guys, and then they're having a match later in the night, pal. Like, this this isn't a great time for wrestling. And The Fiend comes in, and it's like, what the... F- it, the same thing as, like, 2013. You go, what the hell? What is this? Like, like there's this creepy sick like mask it's got the big blue like hole in the mouth there's like a lantern and then like the lights come on and this possessed looking mask and Fergal Devitt wearing the the white gear at SummerSlam quite literally like shat himself basically I was like that SummerSlam thing is the funniest thing when Balor first realizes and like lights come on and he sees the Thane Fergal's acting is the best thing Fergal's done in his career he's like wow, wow. like that you know good old like, Fergie Fergie, yes, pal. Um, I, if you're going back and watching Bray Wyatt stuff in the next you know, day or two, week, two weeks, that Fiend debut match is, I mean, one of my favorites of Balor. That might be my favorite Balor matches from, not Balor match, um, favorite Wyatt match or one of them from the perspective of just, I mean, one, the OMG factor. Two, I mean, how Balor sold for it. Balor was like a whole match. He just couldn't believe what he was looking at. Um, and then Kevin infamously, yeah, we get seven weeks later once again similar thing to what they did in 2013 with and 2014 with cena they have this hot act this thing that just clicks it works and wwe put it up a notch too far too soon and all of a sudden it's a hell in a cell match for the universal championship a literal no win situation rollins had just won the thing the fiend had just debuted he couldn't lose and then he there was a DQ and a, a schmoz ending. And fans are chanting, we want refunds, booing, you know, give us our money back. And I don't know, Kevin, I'll pass you in a moment. But to answer the question, the thing was a success, uh, albeit through some absolute debacles. We, we saw some of the, like the low moments of modern era booking because of the Fiend. We saw the Hell in a Cell calamity, the plan of productions called a masterpiece in his worst take ever. And we saw the infamous Goldberg fiend fiasco deep in the guts of Saudi Arabia oh in Jeddah, 
Saudi Arabia in front of the Prince Pal, Phil wow. Goldberg, looked Vincent Kennedy McMahon in the eyes and said, I'm not doing the job to that, brother. And then proceeded to smash the fiend, stack the fiend, pin the fiend, dethrone the fiend, pal. So there you go, Kevin. That's my opinion. Talk to us. Wow. Um, a lot was said there. So I want to address the fiend overall. Me personally, I view the fiend as a success. As I said, my favorite version of Bray Wyatt. I really liked it. The only problem, like we said, is that it had to get to the ring, and it was kind of tough once he, once we got to the ring. Um, but overall, like everything the fiend did was unique and interesting and topical. He was the talk of wrestling, one of if not the main talk of wrestling from when the fiend character debuted up until he stepped away after WrestleMania thirty seven. He was the the talk of the the company in a lot of aspects. There'd be raw episodes and like the, the end of twenty twenty, like the fall of twenty twenty, where the biggest talking point, the biggest thing that happened, would be like Randy Orton holding Alexa Bliss in his, in his arms, like as she was the female fiend. Because yeah. so many cool things came out of that. We could be here for hours talking about all the cool stuff that happened in that era and the pandemic era and yeah. and whatnot. Uh, I do want to talk about the Goldberg thing mm. for a moment. Yeah, the Goldberg thing just is horrendous. Like, no matter how you spin it, it, it's really embarrassing in a lot of aspects. Like, when you show someone that's never really, not never watched wrestling, but someone that's not in tune with what's going on in wrestling on a week-to-week basis or month-to-month basis, and you show them and you're like, oh, this is Goldberg. This guy is from WCW. Like, let's be honest. People that have everyday knowledge of wrestling, not a lot of them know who Goldberg is. Goldberg is not on the level of like a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart or Macho Man, where everyone kind of knows those guys, you know? Goldberg is like a notch below that with that star power. So you show someone, you're like, okay, this is Goldberg. Who the hell's Goldberg? Oh, he was in WCW on cover of TV guides, all this. Here he is. He's going to beat the one of the biggest stars in the WWE, this unique Fiend character. He's going to beat him in like two, three minutes. And it's just like, like, why? Like, one of the worst booking decisions that I can remember, just so questionable, didn't make any sense. I get it. You wanted to do Goldberg versus Roman Reigns with the championship. Yes. That is a championship-worthy um, match. I get it. I understand. I'm all here for it. Why put the the championship on Bray Wyatt in the beginning if you don't think he's a guy that can hold it to WrestleMania? If you don't think he's worthy to face Roman Reigns and he's a worthy heel for Roman Reigns to conquer, why put the championship on him to begin with? Yeah, and with that, one thing just becomes clear when you unpack it that way, to me at least, Obviously, the situational awareness in those instances, the Goldberg thing, having him come back and within seven weeks, he's facing Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell for the title. Even that Cena WrestleMania thing and having him lose. like It's stuff like that, which it's like, you're better off just not having done that at all. Like with The Fiend, for instance, in hindsight, Kevin, because obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. it's easy to say this years in advance once the dust has settled. The Fiend should have made it clear and you can easily do this with a character like The Fiend. The Fiend isn't here for a belt. The Fiend isn't here to, you know, win a, a prop, 
manufactured by Kevin Dunn and Johnny Ace in some warehouse. That's not what The Fiend's there for. The Fiend's to avenge the death of Sister Abigail five years ago and put carnage in his wake. Like, The Fiend's just there to release his inner monster. He doesn't care. The Fiend doesn't care about winning a title. That's not what The Fiend's there for. That would have saved the Hell in a Cell debacle. It would have saved the Goldberg debacle. Maybe it would have had two, three years of longevity. You never know. But instead, once you get to yeah, the big stage championship matches, there's style clashes. You've got Goldberg challenging for a title against a guy who, one, stylistically, there's no click there. Two, it's never going to work. Then, like, Goldberg and, you know, then you got, like, Roman comes out. Roman's always been in the title match. But the Fiends, like, it just becomes, it becomes murky once you throw the title in, like, the main event echelon. Like, to me, Bray should have been the guy who he's always, obviously, up a mid-card as the Fiend, having big matches with, like, a Fiend story. But not, the title doesn't need to be a part of it. It just doesn't. So, I don't know. To me, the Fiend was a success to answer the question and to get this, you know, ball still moving. Uh, but yeah, just some, you know, some of the execution as we discussed, you know, it, it left a lot to be desired. Absolutely. Uh, I'll touch on this so we can stay positive. Let's talk about that Randy Orton feud just for a minute. That Randy Orton feud that, that occurred in the pandemic. I thought it was so good. Honestly, everything those two guys did. Yeah. Like, you know, you got, you got the fireball, you know, Randy Orton setting him on fire. I mean, there was so much fun stuff. So much quirky, cool stuff. This was we really saw a different side of Randy Orton that we never saw. Like this was Randy Orton like doing character stuff. Before Randy Orton would come out and say, Oh, I'm gonna punch you, John. Oh. You know, now you got Randy Orton actually like trying. If you will. It's so much fun. So much fun stuff. I, I what did you think of like the pairing with him and Alexa Bliss and that whole era? Uh had its had its moments for sure. Uh I mean watching at that time, like that was I mean, that, because this, we're talking like back couple months of 2020, first few months of 2021, you, you got to think about where wrestling's at. That's really, that's like Roman Reigns, when he's really starting to get momentum going, that's the first few months of the Tribal Chief thing. So that's on SmackDown. Raw, to be honest, like Drew McIntyre is like the guy on Raw, but you know, by that point, Roman Reigns had already like ended his main event run basically by saying, you'll never be the guy. And really... You're, when you're watching a three-hour Raw, you're looking forward to whatever thing they were going to do with The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, with Bliss, with Randy. It was, yeah, the fireball. It was Randy Orton in the black gunk. There was the stuff with the doll, Alexa's playground with, like, the purple lighting in the empty arena. Randy Orton with the character work, you know, like, the fireball thing, infamously. Randy Orton was, like, blinded. And, like, th- there's so much to that. And I remember as from a content creator standpoint that was phenomenal at the end of 20 that gave us and like the viewers generally so much to be intrigued about which was one of the great things of bray now how the feud ended at wrestlemania yeah i get it leaves once again a bit to be desired i mean you were there for this there was a box kevin there was black gunk there was a tiara that was like spraying goo everywhere it was weird and bray white just lost after one rko and it was all a bit like seven months for that but the feud itself, the content of the build, I I quite liked. Fun on the whole, so much fun. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think about his return in late twenty twenty two? Yeah, so this I guess we're calling human Bray. Some say like Wyatt Six Bray. They never really fleshed that out, like the Wyatt Six thing. But yeah, human. I call it human Bray. Um, seeing Bray's like authentic side, especially that promo, Kevin. I know 
obviously you know the one I'm talking about. Everyone listening to this would know. Um, after he came back at Extreme Rules, had his the big shocking return, the SmackDown after, and really a couple of SmackDowns after that, seeing Bray's human side, the Wyndham's human side, awesome. was incredible. Like when you look back now, and obviously it's been quite emotional. We have to do this. Like, you know, we don't have to, sorry. Like, wording's not right. The fact that we're going back now in tribute of Bray and Wyndham and the whole career, the life of the person that was, when we look back at it, as far as the, I guess, a, a promo, a moment, something that I guess is probably the most emotional moment of Wyndham's career was like that promo where he's like, just telling us, the fans, the WWE audience, the wrestling fraternity, like, you saved my life. You know, like, I've been through a lot of dark spots. You know, I've struggled with a lot of things. I've lost my best friend. I've, you know, won mm. my place in this world and all this. And then he, you know, he says, like, just thank you for, you know, believing in what I've created for being me. Because that, the, the one thing you can never fault with Bray and Wyndham is that his career, especially from 2013 through yeah, 2023, that that is him. You know, that's not him going out to poorly read lines that Vince McMahon and some 64 year old writer who's addicted to Starbucks wrote in WWE headquarters. That's not that. It's not theory. It's not one. Of, it's not Mason Ryan. It's not a wrestler who's just following a script, boring. Bray Wyndham, he like he gave himself to his character, to his performance. And yeah, granted, like myself and basically everyone was critical at certain stages. Some were more critical throughout the whole journey. Some loved nearly everything. I was you know, a bit like, okay, this is a bit too far. This is a bit, you know, I just like everyone had my gripes, but the one thing I can never fault Wyndham for is that he laid it all out there. And this promo, Kevin, the return of Wyatt, I mean, I'll give, I'll pass your thoughts. I mean, what was it like for you seeing his human side? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I remember the return. I was like, oh, wow, Bray Wyatt's here. Like, that's cool. Like, he's back. Like, you know, we I mean, still don't know why he left or what happened, but, you know, he's back. And yeah, here he is. It was a different, more humble down-to-earth version of Bray Wyatt. Um, you know, I remember you and I, we kind of poked some fun at, like, the, the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match. Now, that was around the, when we first started, uh, re- restarted, relaunched this podcast. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking back at it, it's like, you know, we're just having fun with some characters on a TV show, yeah. you know. It has nothing to do with the real person behind it, you know. No, it, Nick Khan just wants to get some Mountain Dew revenue, ad revenue, sponsorship revenue, and he's like, all right, Bray, all right, LA Knight, you guys want to do this? They're like, yeah, sure. And they made chicken salad out of chicken shit, you know, that they, they made it watchable. Um, it was a good storyline. I, I wasn't too, too captivated by Bray in the return. Like, I thought the promos were good, and that's definitely was his strong suit by far was promos and storytelling and creative writing. There were rumors, that I believe, that he was involved in the creative team too uh, during this run, which makes sense. I mean, he's one of the most brilliant minds this is something we didn't really talk about yeah he's a second generation guy you know he got his foot in the door because his father is irs who was one of the this like the characters from the 80s and 90s that golden era and he just got all of that just passed to him you know some guys you look at like nick hogan and uh and what's his daughter's name uh brooke hogan you look at them and it's like oh these (laughs) these people don't have anything like you're related to hulk hogan and you got nothing you know and then in this case like and with randy orton's case too their fathers bob Orton and irs were you know mid-card guys undercard guys in the 80s but then their children became hall of famers 
and became some of the best wrestlers we've ever seen. So it's just kind of funny how that generational thing works. It's cool to think about. Uh, I just wanted to say that before I forgot. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't too, too captivated with the side of, of Bray. I do remember when he um, he was scheduled to wrestle Bobby Lashley in like a Cinnamon Toast Crunch match or whatever at WrestleMania, and then it didn't happen. And it was like, oh, Bray Wyatt pulled out. And we didn't know what happened. Like, they were just like reporting like, oh, like mental health issues. Like, nobody knew, right. you know? Nobody knew what was going on. And then you come to find out, oh, this guy has a life-threatening illness. Like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. Like, who knew? Who would have... Who knew? And I remember we were poking fun at that too on the podcast. At the, not at his illness, but at the match, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch match. Like, oh, neither one of these guys wanted to do it. They they just, you know, they faked injuries because they didn't want to do the match. And then it's like, man, you know, then you find out what's really going on. It's like, wow, dude. And now here we are. It's crazy. It's just yeah, crazy. Yeah, I guess that's going to, that would be like, what? Yeah, it just is the last sort of television stuff of Bray Wyatt was him and like that Wyatt six thing they didn't quite flesh out that there was definitely a lot I have no doubt if and this is I'll I'll get to this in a minute but if you like write that whole Wyatt six idea and like what Wyndham was like his fundamental ideas for what that would have been or what he wanted that to look like probably would have been masterful television but it's one thing it's like execution on the actual screen but yeah what we were poking fun at and what a lot of people were confused about was it was like so Brock Lesnar is going to face Bobby Lashley for like the fourth time. Instead of a title, instead of whatever, the, the prize is facing Bray Wyatt. Okay. Yeah. Cool, I guess. It was weird, you know, because like, I, I don't think that's how Wyndham wrote it up. I, I don't think Wyndham is sitting there backstage going, okay, we're going to tell the, this Wyatt sick story. We're going to tell bits of my past. We're going to maybe get Bo Dallas involved. We're going to get these characters. This guy's, you know, we're going to get Joe Gacy involved for NXT. We're going to do this really sick thing. The audience is going to love it. My fans will love it. We'll put over X, Y, and Z people. He's probably crafted a year's worth of storytelling and storyline. And then whoever in creative, Vince McMahon, or I don't even know who, some writer has gone, that that sounds great, but what we're going to do is have Lashley face Brock again, and you're going to face the winner at WrestleMania. And we may do a Cinnamon Toast Crunch match. Hold on that. We're going to see what Nick Khan's, when he, when he talks to the sponsors, if he can get seven figures out of them instead of six, we're going to do cinnamon toast. So watch this space. And, and why it'll, and Wyndham at this time, from what, you know, reports and all this, by point, yeah, like the, this illness, the sickness sort of to come about and, you know, none of that panned out and who knows where it would have gone. But yeah, wow. You know, and that, that's like the last of WWE and the last of Wyndham in wrestling generally was this thing where he's the prize and, WWE must it felt like they overruled his ideas it felt like he wanted a white six thing he wanted some really good story with that with maybe Lashley and WWE were like Lashley and Brock's gonna fight the winner yeah and then you're gonna have Cinnamon Toast Crunch pal yeah yeah Bobby's gonna be in the locker room eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Bray Wyatt's just gonna show up out of nowhere scare him you know like who knows what would have happened but um overall I mean what's what's Bray Wyatt's legacy Kevin, I'll, I mean, yeah, I'll answer this and I have like my own sort of opinion here, which I've discussed in some videos before. I'll pass to you and then we can really close this out. But to me, Bray was, he's that guy and he's someone who, his mind, I honestly think was too great for WWE. Like he had a a creative knack, like a nuance, like an understanding of storytelling, of character that honestly... For WWE between 2013 and 2023, 
it, it's it's like Bryce operating as like you know this like a plus plus mind in like a school sense and wwe throughout that time are offering like d f creative you know like he was he almost was a fish out of water in that regard and he was so unique what he provided i mean you know, we discussed the fiend we discussed all these different things the white family itself all these different personas of Wyatt, all these things that in many of them connected with the audiences that was great but I think, I mean, beneath it all was Wyndham, the person wanting to express a, a character and express a version of him and express and do these stories that were just, I mean, they were too big. They were too nuanced for WWE. There were too many nuances, which as I've discussed in videos I've made, I've discussed this on Elite Hate, I mean, you've chimed in on this as well. If you write down a Wyndham Rotunda like brainstorm and you like it's like a like a notebook and it's like page after page of his ideas and what he wants to do with the character and all this I have no doubt it's probably the best thing you've ever read it would probably be like a masterpiece of like wrestling writing just writing generally but translating that Kevin to a WWE TV show with politics with Goldberg not wanting to wrestle or match more than five minutes with The Fiend with Hell in a Cell in Sacramento with we want to have the world title match six weeks after you come back with all this stuff it, it, it muddles up what was in other words like beautiful waters i guess if that makes sense like Wyndham rotunda's creative mind is like a clear beautiful stream waters flowing beautiful water but then the politics the you know superstars not wanting to do the job world title matches that shouldn't be happening egos that's like throwing sticks and jellyfish and and a bit of food coloring and some dirt in the water and what you're left with kevin is 2023 and bray wyatt it's murky it's a bit confusing it's hard to understand there's some good stuff there but there's a lot of confusion there's a bit of like what's going on that's the best way i can describe it that's the legacy of bray wyatt to me it's a clear stream a brilliant talent a generational creative mind that gets murky that gets muddled by the sort of, I guess we'll say the BS of wrestling, the reality of wrestling, all the stuff that goes into it. I think it would have been better in Hollywood. I just do. I think in a director role, in a creative producer role, he would have produced for the biggest movies of this millennium. If in a Hollywood directing role, his mind was unbelievable. So that's my stance, Kevin, on his legacy. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could have said it better myself, honestly. I could see him doing horror movies. You know, some Netflix horror movies or big, big, uh, big screen, big budget, big theater uh, horror movies. I think that would have been a good, a good thing for him. Um, yeah, I mean, when I look at Bray Wyatt, when you tell me, okay, what's Bray Wyatt's legacy? For me, it's like this. Okay, so Bray Wyatt is a guy that was a victim of the the Vince McMahon mentality of like oh we have to live on the attitude era we got to live on the late 90s we got to live on the, the back of these big stars and part-timers Bray Wyatt always bottomed out to the big stars you know he was he was never chosen over Cena Undertaker you know Goldberg Brock Lesnar oh, yeah. yeah even AJ Styles even a guy like that you know Bray Wyatt always just was like um, second fiddle, you know, it was almost like used against him that he was a homegrown star from this day and age, you know, 
he didn't have like either of the two things that WWE was looking for at the time when he was a big star from 2013 to 2020. Basically, he didn't have the indie cred that WWE wanted. He didn't have the star power from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that WWE wanted. So he was just kind of out of the shuffle, you know? Yeah. I think if you put Bray Wyatt in another era, you put him in the 80s, let's say you put him in the, the, the late 80s, right? Bray Wyatt's one of the biggest stars in wrestling, bar none at that time. Like, Bray Wyatt would have been a name that we would look back at, like we look at Mr. Perfect or Macho Man or Rick Rude from that era, you know? And that's kind of what he is to this era, really. He's that that second tier, with with the like a, like a Mister Perfect, like a Razor Ramon, you know, like a uh, like a guy like that, like um from the early two thousands. You look at like a Shelton Benjamin, you know. Yeah. That's like what Bray Wyatt is, you know. Um, but in the eighties, I think he would have been a big star. He would have been on Hogan's level, you know. He, him and Hogan and Bray Wyatt could have drawn a ton of money in the 80s and 90s you know he would have been one of those guys that's marching down to the ring to take the leg drop pal and the whole arena would have been sold out you know so uh just one of the most creative minds one of the most unique characters one of the most over the top and one of the best characters i've ever seen uh grace my my screen on a wrestling show have you seen or heard what vince russo says about bray wyatt no Basically says if if that guy was, you know, in if it's 1995, 1996, 97, 98, I'm writing the show, that is one of the biggest stars in the world. I can I, see I it. I have no doubt about it. I have no doubt about it. I think, and what you're alluding to there, like Bray was almost a victim of the environment. With, I mean, you say Vince McMahon, but like the climate of WWE, the creative, no one there, no writer getting it. Like, like I think like someone like Russo, he gets maligned. Obviously, there's WCW, there's a lot of stuff with like Russo, but something like Wyndham. Imagine just them sitting in a room for two hours. They craft some of the best stories ever in wrestling, and they they produce them and they execute it accordingly. And like they 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 get it. I just feel like no one or hardly anyone besides Wyndham himself understood his vision, and that's ultimately what sort of led to what we got, where it was you know. It's almost moments. It was some cool stuff, but then a month later, it's like, what? What the? What, what was that? Why have they done that after they've like, you know? And that sort of became Bray Wyatt, a, a career of, to me, what could have been. Like, I mean, I look at Wyatt. He's probably the main example in the modern era. I look at like Dean Ambrose as well, someone like that. You talk about like waste. Like he, you know, this great talent. I mean, you know, and it's become in WWE for Dean Ambrose. It was. Oh, he's gonna spray barbecue sauce. He's crazy. Oh, he's gonna put the tongs on your balls. How? It's like, what do you think of this? He's crap? crazy. He's crazy, pal. Oh, you know, like, it's, yeah. Come on. All right, so yeah, we'll, no, we'll, we'll, we'll close with this. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say this to Bray Wyatt about Bray Wyatt, not to Bray Wyatt about Bray Wyatt. Uh, one of the guys that I'll never forget, you know, and as a wrestling fan, you know, he'll live on forever in all of our hearts. He made a lasting impact on this business forever. And some of that stuff that's going to live on forever is infamous, you know, and a lot of it's good. Some of it's infamous, but he's still going to live on. Um, he's still going to be forever in our hearts um, as wrestling fans. Um, you know, it's kind of somber. It's kind of uh, a sour note that we have to do this. 
and that have to do this, like you said, but that we are here talking about Bray Wyatt the way that we are. Never thought we would uh, so early, you know. Um, I thought Bray Wyatt would be one of those guys that I'd be watching in 20 years, talk, doing shoot interviews, talking about what it was like dealing with Roman Reigns backstage or Samoa Joe or something like that. You know, that that was like I, I just thought he would be such a great storyteller. I think he'd be one of the best shoot interview guys in the history of, of that that business. Yeah. You know, I, I can't picture a guy like telling better stories of Bray Wyatt, you know, and it's unfortunate that we're not going to get to hear those backstage stories. So, um, but what we did get from him was great and he left a hell of a legacy behind. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say, I mean, obviously, yeah, we don't, the, the storyteller he is, and it's just unbelievable. But I think the other thing, which, I mean, this is getting touched on by all the wrestlers who've worked with him, all the people who've had contact with him is just like this is just one of the good the good people of wrestling as well yeah you know like as kevin i mean your channel particularly wrestling uncovered goes into there are some scumbags in this industry there are some people who are shady lie through their teeth politics all of it wyndham rotunda is not one of those people no wyndham you know that you just you don't hear a bad word about him and it's not like people are suppressing it but they're agreeing that no people don't have some bad stuff to say about him he's one of the nice guys and from a like it's a personal experience sort of thing. When I made my video, let me in the transformation of Bray Wyatt, early 2021, and Bray Wyatt himself, that account, like the, you know, he's like one point something million followers on Twitter. Bray the you know, Wyndham the person, like like that, like tweet of like that video. He, he's seen the video I made on him. Wyndham's watched that, you know, which is unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I just want to say yeah. You know, rest in peace, Wyndham. Um, on behalf of everyone, uh, obviously yourself, and just the community generally. You know, like everyone who's enjoyed your work and been around with you. Like, like obviously you'll be missed. You know, it's it's a big loss for wrestling. It really is. As we started the show by saying, some wrestlers and people generally live their whole lives. And Terry Funk, once again, like wrestlers out who are like eighty, they've, they've 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 done their career. They've done their life. But Wyndham had so much more to give. So it's heartbreaking um, that we even are doing this. But yeah, 